Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcasting the law offices of Polsonelli in Washington, D.C. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-hosts, Ann Spiegel, Noam Fishman, and Aaron Felix from the law firm of Polsonelli. We have a great lineup of guests for you on our show today, including Suzanne Marisa, who's general counsel of OVH U.S., uh, followed by Amy Shepard, general counsel and director of finance, the Good Food Institute, Steve Sherman, general counsel and corporate secretary, BSI Group America, and finally, Zach Stewart, Assistant General Counsel and Assistant Secretary of Serco Inc. Let's get to know our first guest, Suzanne Marissa, who is General Counsel of OVH US. What is OVH US, Suzanne? OVH is a global hyperscale cloud provider. Uh, tell me a little bit more about what you guys do and for whom. Well, we have customers all over the world that buy cloud computing and storage from us. Oh, I see. And how large or how small is the organization? organization is quite uh, quite big over overseas Mm -hmm. Um, we have 27 data centers throughout the world Mm -hmm. here in the US we have 300 employees and two data centers one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast cool and uh, where are you from originally from a town called Brookville Maryland out Uh near Olney Maryland And how many brothers and sisters do you have I have an older brother and a younger sister all right so you're the middle of three what did that do to you growing up the middle of three it made me kind of claim my stake in the world. I had to be a little spunky and a little louder than my siblings. Uh-huh. How's, how's that play out in your role? It says here you're the general counsel of OBHUS. It made me kind of seek a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. and So nobody's going to push you around. If you need to get a point across, you're going to do it. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Okay. I just wanted to get a sense there. Uh, and what kind of questions you got? Tell us a little about about your mom and what kind of effect she had on your life. My mom's had a great effect on my life. She um, she's a very loving person and was always involved in our lives, very much so. She was my Girl Scout leader. She was my church youth group leader. She um, she had me practice piano all the time, and she wanted me to be, I think, a lot like her. Mm-hmm. What was it? What was that like growing up with a mom who was the leader of everything you were doing? Well, it kept me active and involved. Uh-huh. But did you hate the fact mom was there all the time? No, I actually really liked it. What do you mean? I really, I loved having her around, and I have four kids of my own, uh-huh. and I'm around a lot in their lives, and I think she set that example for me. What's the similarity between being a mom and being the general counsel of OBHUS? Similarity. The similarity is that you have to care a lot about the company, just like you do about your family. Wait a minute. I read the newspapers, and in business, if somebody doesn't do their job, you fire them. No, in business, when you're at OVH, and and certainly when you're on my team, I empower you, and throughout our company, we empower our employees to do their best work. Erin? What was your favorite subject in school? English. And, And why is that? Because I love to read and write. When, when did that interest start? It started early on in the, in the fourth grade. The teacher would call my mother and say, you know, I know I shouldn't tell your daughter that she can't read in class, but it's really disruptive because I'm trying to teach the class and all she does is read when I'm talking. Mm-hmm. And does that continue to this day? I, I do love to read. Mm-hmm. And, and how, so how does your love of English and reading affect your, your day-to-day job today? Well, I, you have to read and write a lot as a lawyer because you have to communicate effectively. So that's how I spend a lot of my day. Noah? So you get to do what you love. I do, mm-hmm. and I do love it. Noah? Tell us about sports. What kind of sports were you interested in? Well, um, growing up I did gymnastics, but my real love is tennis. And, and when was it that you figured out that, that tennis was your thing? Well, I figured out that I was good in sports, really good in sports, for the first time when I was in ninth grade. How did that happen? Well, I was in PE class, and we had stations. Like, you do a different kind of sport each week. And 
Annie Hanlon and Beth Lowering were the two girls in my PE class that were phenomenal in sports. And I'd go out each week and I'd realize that, oh my goodness, not only can I keep up with them, sometimes I'm even better than they are. You remember the names. I do, because when I was young and growing up, my mom was good at all these kind of cultural and musical types of things, but she never considered herself to be much of an athlete. And when you're young, you relate to your parents so much and you think, you think that you are just like them. But I found kind of my own identity through sports and it was very empowering for me. How did that realization change who you were then? It made me strive for more. It made me believe in myself. It gave me a lot of confidence. And tennis has given me not only the belief in myself that I can be very good at something with a lot of practice and a lot of um, tenacity, but it has given me a lovely social life. I have a lot of friends through tennis. I find a lot of joy in it. And how do those realizations impact how you do your job now? It's about forming relationships. It's about doing your best every day and empowering others to do their best every day. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. What was that all about? Dad was more quiet, a little bit of a loner, kept to himself. Mm -hmm. How was your relationship with your father? It wasn't what I would have liked for it to be. It wasn't bad. It really just wasn't there. So you really you really look for the intimacy in a relationship. You're comfortable with intimacy in a relationship. And my bet long-term relationships, is that true? It it is so true. I definitely look for intimacy and I find it hard when there is no intimacy in a relationship. So what's that have to do? I mean, you don't usually use the word intimacy when it comes to being a general counsel of a large organization. How does intimacy play into your building this company? It it again it, it plays into into relationships. What I do you mean? Why are rela- why are relationships so important in business or are they? I don't mean to be putting words in your they mouth. They are. You need people to commit and to be all in to what they're doing. I thought that's the benef- I thought that's the benefit of the law. If somebody doesn't do what they agreed, you sue them. Right? <laughs> no, no. That's being silly. What's yeah. reality look like though? The reality is that you you don't want to go around suing. You want to be you want to prevent it from ever getting to a bad and place. And how do you prevent it? By treating people fairly, by advocating for your customers, by treating them right, by treating your employees well. That's interesting. That's not what I read in the newspapers, but your general counsel and an attorney of this organization that's growing very quickly, you know what you're talking about. Well, what's the best part of your job? I I love the challenges that my job presents. I get to do so many things and it's engaging. Every day I wake up, it's it's every every day something is new and that's that's exciting. Doesn't that to drive me. you crazy? You never know what to expect? No, I love it. You love the difference? I I do. I would be so bored otherwise. So, uh, how's ten how's how does tennis and how does being general counsel? Is there a similarity between the two? Um, In terms of being prepared, you never know where the ball's going to go? Certainly, tennis is a lot of strategy, right? Uh And I spend my day thinking deeply and thinking strategically. Mm -hmm. So there is a similarity there for sure. And that's with other team members, it sounds like. Otherwise, you're just thinking it's not going to go anywhere. It really is a matter of traction with other people. Am I right about that? Yeah, they call tennis an individual sport, but it it is also... A team sport. You're playing someone else, and you're playing as part of a team. And we're very collaborative. I find my my other, you know, the other leadership and uh-huh. and certain people on my team to. Well, I need you them. Can, they need me. Yeah, we need each other. Yeah, knowing you, considering how relationships are so important, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised to hear that. What other questions you guys thinking, Aaron? What are you thinking? I'm curious, uh, Suzanne. Going going back to you said you play the piano. What type of music mm-hmm. did you like to play the most? I liked classical music. Really? I did. And what, what about classical attracted you? It's, it's, it's complexity um, and its ability to move you mm-hmm. emotionally. And, and did you, was there a particular 
uh, composer or, or type of that's style. That's fascinating. The complexity and the ability to move you emotionally. That's really who you are, isn't it? It is. What do you mean? I... Life is interesting and life is long and I've done some really cool things in my life mm-hmm. and so there's a real I complex side to you. Yeah. There there is. Uh-huh. But there's without other people, what's the use of thinking, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you really enjoy the relationships with other people. Um hmm, what's the best part of your day? Best part of my day yeah. is going around to snuggle each of my kids at night. I thought you were going to tell me business stuff. You're this hot dog, but you're telling me about the kids, huh? Wow, that's wonderful. What's the website address of this organization? It's ovhcloud. Ovhcloud.com? Correct. Uh-huh. At home. At home. Who wears the pants in the family? You or your husband? Uh-huh. We, <laughs> I, I would say I, we both do. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably a collaborative environment after getting a feel for you. Let me have the, let me have the website address one last time. OVHcloud.com. Mm-hmm. We've been speaking with Suzanne Marisa, General Counsel of OVHUS here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com. Learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name and your full-time occupation and how you're giving back to the community. Sure. I'm Ken Pollack. I'm general counsel of AGNC Investment Corporation. Mm-hmm. One of the founda- organizations I'm involved with is the ACC NCR Leadership Academy. What, what's, that, what's that all about, the Leadership Academy at ACC NCR? The Leadership Academy is a nine-month program uh, designed for in-house lawyers to develop leadership skills. What, what do you mean? Tell me more about that. What are you thinking about? Uh, the, the program takes 30 individuals, puts them through a nine-course uh, program over a nine-month period taught by uh, experts in, in various leadership fields like emotional intelligence, uh, presentation skills, negotiation, strategic decision-making. So the organization has set up a plan to help train other people to take these general counsel roles to help prepare general counsel for their roles, it sounds like. It's in-house counsel to prepare them to take on more leadership within their organizations. Huh, and what's your involvement in this group? I was part of the original steering committee that helped develop the program. So we we went out and talked to various in-house counsel. We did focus groups and the like to find domains and skills that general counsel found were important for uh, leadership development. So you tried to figure out first what skills general counsel needed, and now you're training general counsel how to do these, how to take, you know, in these skill sets. We're training in-house counsel throughout their career on how to take on those skill sets. How wonderful. What a great idea. What's the website address of this organization? The website address is accncrleadershipacademy.com. Let me have that one more time. ACCNCRLeadershipAcademy.com. And your name again is? Ken Pollack, General Counsel of Agency Investment Corp. How fascinating. And this has been your business spotlight. And your name and organization is? I'm Affie Ambrose, and my paying job is with Acumen Solutions. I'm the general counsel there, and I, uh, have, I'm the immediate past president of the Association of Corporate Counsel, National Capital Region. And, and what is this association all about? Who are its members? The members are all in-house counsel, and the association is about helping bring community with in-house counsel and growing and developing them. So why are you spending time with this organization, and why did you decide, or why did you choose, or why did you accept the role as the previous president? The best part of the organization is the community that we have as in-house counsel and the educational opportunities we have together and the opportunity to learn from each other. So you really enjoy helping build the community. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And, and what do you get back from doing this? I mean, you know, you're spending time. You're probably investing dollars as well. What, what's coming back to you? I think the friendships and relationships that we all have, uh, the sense of connection that we have as in-house lawyers, and the feeling of responsibility to improving not only our corporations, but also uh, to give back to the community. So you're feeling a common thread that there's certain kinds of uh, responsibilities that corporate counsel feel toward those organizations? What was that all about? Again? Let me have that again. Absolutely. As in-house lawyers, we're committed to the success of our organizations and the people in those organizations. And so we all relate to each other in that way. 
Huh, that's fascinating. I, you know, you don't read about this in the newspaper, but it's fascinating to hear how you guys are really helping build the community and build your organizations. What's the website address of, of this organization? ACC.com and look for the NCR chapter. Let me have that one more time. ACC.com. Mm-hmm. And which chapter is this? The National Capital Region, and NCR. And your name again is? Athy Ambrose. Athy Ambrose. And your full-time job is? I'm with Acumen Solutions. I'm the general counsel. And this has been your business spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive News Radio. This is Herb Cohn. We'd like to introduce Amy Shepard, general counsel and director of finance, the Good Food Institute. Amy, what is the Good Food Institute? The Good Food Institute, or what we affectionately call GFI, is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we use food innovation in markets to transform the global food system away from conventional animal products towards plant-based and clean meat. Where are you from originally? I am from Kaysville, Utah. And what was the population of Kaysville, Utah when you were growing up? It was probably around 8,000 people. And what do you think the upside of growing up in a town, a small town of 8,000, was? Um, the sense of community, of familiarity. Um, it was safe. Um, I remember riding my bike all the way down to 7-Eleven and getting Slurpees, things like that. So you grew up in a safe environment. So, so big deal. What's, what, what kind of seeds could that pl- have planted in you? I think there's a sense of security that comes from that. Um, and I ended up being different than other people that were around me um, where I grew up. But because I grew up someplace that I had a lot of security, I think both with my neighborhood, with my friends, with my family, um, it really gave me the strength to make the decisions I needed to make. Uh-huh. Aaron? Amy, did you have any siblings? Uh, yes, I have a half-brother and a half-sister. And what, what's the age difference is there? My half-brother is 24 years older than me, and my half-sister is probably around 16 years older than me. So you told a really interesting story earlier about your, your brother, and you referred to him as a 1970s hippie. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? He was a 1970s hippie. Um, he, yes, that, that's where he was. He grew up in Utah in the 50s and 60s and then moved to San Francisco. Um, and so when I was young and I was born in the 70s, um, when he did a lot of things. Like I remember once he gave me a book, and it had a really cute story about some bears that put sugar in their porridge. And he had gone through the book and crossed out sugar everywhere and put in honey because it was more organic and natural. And how does that uh, relate to the work you do today? Well, the Good Food Institute is all about, um, you know, good food, plant-based, things that are good for the environment, for people, for its help. Um, And I think that, you know, caring about something that way and being able to frankly look at a book that was printed and say, you know what, I don't accept that. I think something else I'm going to cross that You mentioned your family was a little different, the environment you grew up. What do you mean your family was different? What are you talking about? Well, my dad was what they call a Jack Mormon, um, Mm -hmm. which is someone who is in the church, but not really. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of the people that lived around me, they had two parents. They were both very involved in the church, a lot of kids. I was raised as an only child. I had um, half siblings, um, significantly older. One was a hippie. He's also gay. So just very different than other people around me. Uh-huh. Zach? Wow. Okay. So <laughs> so when did you learn? When did your brother reveal that fact to you? Oh, he way before I was born, I think in, in the 70s, to my father. Um, and he came out in the 70s when he went to San Francisco. So knowing, knowing that you had that going on in your family, someone who was that different from the environment you were raised in, mm-hmm. what did that do to you? Um, you know, I'm incredibly close to my brother. He's He's one of the most influential people that I've they've met on this planet and um, I love him so much and I I just got him we get each other and um, we have so much fun together so for me you know the the a lot of people had views about homosexuality um, you know in the 80s and the 70s that are di- very different than now but I just looked at this person that I knew and I'm like this person I kn- I know this person this is a truth and so for me it was a really it was a good foundation to say I don't necessarily have to accept what other people are believing about this because because I know I have firsthand experience with this individual. And it made a difference. what are you thinking? And you mentioned that you grew up in this really safe environment, but obviously you had a different, um, it's a different dynamic than than other people in, in the environment. Um, what do you think it is about you that helped you gravitate toward what was different rather than staying with what was safe? Um, well, I like I would like to argue a lot and I like my father liked to argue a lot and we had a lot of fun arguing together and it's no fun to argue with people who think the same thing you do so I think that um, you know we being very close to my parents I would being raised as an only child I was around adults a lot 
Um, and so I was already a little different than all my neighbors that were just hanging out with their brothers and sisters. Um, I hung out with their friends a lot because my father was a Jack Mormon. A lot of his friends were also different um, than a lot of the dads that were um, around. So I think that those things made me secure. I loved those people. They were fun to be around. They never questioned, you know, me being argumentative, which was not like a lot of the other girls in my town. Um, so that was also very, I think, affirming. Mm-hmm. Noah? Tell us about mom and dad. What were they like? Uh, my dad was a goofball. They are both uh, teachers. My dad taught high school. My mom, uh, my grandma used to call her the general, um, So, but she was also a school teacher. So uh, my dad was much more happy-go-lucky. My mom kind of made sure everything got done. So being school teachers, you had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with them in the summer. What was that like? It was really fun. Um, I think that uh, I got to do a lot of things. We traveled. um, We golfed a lot. Um, Golfing was big in my family. And so um, I really enjoyed that. They spent a lot of time with me. So I think I got to know them as individuals, as people, and not just in sort of a parent-child relationship. And so how how do those relationships that you formed when you were younger with them and perhaps others, how do they impact what you do? for work now? Well, I think that um, having different people in my life like that and having to form relationships with them, you kind of learn um, the way to communicate with people. So, for example, like I I went between my my parents, who I could be very open with, and my brother, to my cousins, who are deeply religious, and they're wonderful people, and I'm very close to them. So you learn to adapt to the environment and the people that you're talking to. I think as an attorney, that's one of the most important things, certainly, as in-house counsel, um, because you don't I don't work with a lot of other attorneys. I work with business people. I work with communications, innovation, scientists. And so you have to be able to deliver, think like a lawyer, but deliver your message in a way that will resonate with them, that they understand for their world, and then they can use in the work that they do. If you had to pinpoint the most important lesson that you learned from your father, what would it be? To enjoy life, to have fun, to be a goofball. Hmm. How's How's that goofball stuff come into work every day? People, okay, so legal training, compliance training, things like that, it's excruciatingly boring for people. And I make it fun. I'm going to brag a little bit here. I make it fun. My my trainings, they're funny. They're serious. They get the points across. I incorporate movies into my training. It's kind of, joke, of a joke at GFI. And you know what? I've seen other people do trainings in other areas, and they reference movies too. And I couldn't be prouder. So you're telling me that part of your role is compliance training, and in order to get people excited about coming to the training and retaining this stuff, you use something, you use goofball. I use humor. You use humor as opposed to making it dry and boring and I'm going to fall asleep. Absolutely. And I've had a couple of um, attorneys in my life, most importantly the judge that I clerked for, Philip Pro, right out of um, law school, who was such a great example of that. Like He was so professional. He was at work every day at 6 o'clock. He was an excellent judge. And when you went back in chambers, he, he could be such a goofball. Uh-huh. Um, but you could see that you can enjoy life. You can keep your sense of humor. You can incorporate your sense of humor into your work and make it more effective. Huh. Next question, Erin. What else are you thinking? I got a bunch of questions here. So it, it, it sounds to me like, you know, because of your childhood, because of your brother, because of the way you grew up with some halves, that um, you grew up different, and it planted, but you grew up feeling safe, and it planted the seeds for you to do things differently. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I, I guess you got turned on by taking the role as general counsel and director of finance for the Good Food Institute. You know, because you're comfortable doing things and stepping out to be different. Yet, you know, you've got some great communication skills and, and you know, you've got this bonded thing going on and you're, you, it's the reason you're able to help build the team. Am I correct about that? I think absolutely. And I think that the, the Good Food Institute has been a really great fit for me because it's also very unusual to be general counsel and director of finance. Um, mm-hmm. Those are usually split. I have a finance background in some of the law that I did, particularly when I started out. But um, to find an organization that is willing to think outside the box like that and say that, you know, we can combine these roles and it can be effective. Yeah. What's the website address for the Good Food Institute? It's gfi.org. Let me have that one more time. gfi.org. We've been speaking with Amy Shepard, General Counsel and Director of Finance at the Good Food Institute here on Executive Leaders Radio. We will be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Chuck Ockeltree. And Chuck, what organization are you with? The National Conference Center and West Belmont Place Event Center. Uh Uh-huh. And what makes this organization special? The National Conference Center was built um, to be the nation's premier 
meeting and event venue. Um, it's not a traditional hotel. Mm -hmm. So even though we have 900 guest rooms and all the services and amenities of a traditional hotel, mm -hmm. because of our size, mm -hmm. we're able to uh, deliver um, an environment that is very conducive to uh, learning, development. And who are your clients? Our clients are uh, many of the, the corporate 100, corporate 500, as well as uh, because of our location in Leesburg, Virginia, mm -hmm. we do a lot of business with Washington, D.C. Uh, government agencies. Mm -hmm. And what do you like about your job? What I like about uh, is we've had the opportunity to bring new leadership to the National Conference Center, blend with the tremendous service team that's built a reputation over the years uh, for great service. And uh, we've had a lot of fun um, helping our clients take advantage of the 65-acre campus. How about you personally? What, what do you enjoy about your job? I enjoy that, that we've uh, had a very, very, very successful turnaround in mm -hmm. uh, the two and a half years, mm -hmm. uh, taking the National Conference Center uh, from where it was in mm -hmm. 2014 with Excellent. the new, uh, new ownership. We've literally doubled the revenue. And what's, so. your, what's your role in the organization again? Uh, my role is Chief Marketing Officer. And what's that mean? It, good question. It means that uh, uh, we're involved with branding, mm -hmm. uh, everything to do with the sales, the marketing, the promotion, and uh, the business development. So you're actually going out there and you're actually involved with helping bring in the clients. Exactly, yes. And sir. I guess the way you're doing that is you're actually talking to a lot of the clients, making sure that you know your services are valuable. We talk to a lot of the clients and we do a lot of uh, events What's as well. What's the website address of the organization? www.conferencecenter.com. Let me hear that one more time www.conferencecenter.com. This has been your business spotlight. And your name is? John Hellerman. And John, what's, uh, what's your organization's name? Hellerman Communications. And what is Hellerman Communications? What do you guys do? It's a public relations firm for professionals. We help uh, lawyers, accountants, uh, engineers, academics, anyone selling their expertise for a living. We help them differentiate it by getting credentialed and, and recognized. How do you guys go, how do you go about doing that? Well, we create strategic plans for each professional, and, and depending on their market, we help them uh, find the awards that are appropriate, join the groups that are appropriate, uh, expand their, their reputation and professional expertise. What were you like as a kid? Were you doing that kind of stuff when you were a kid? I was always working when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, what I kind of stuff of, were you doing? I found a lot of odd jobs. Um, I uh, you know, worked in uh, uh, the cash register at a used furniture store when I was very young. I, I busboyed when I was uh, in my teens, but I, I, you know, when I was Traveling with my parents, I used to, uh, when I was very young, used to hook myself up with different jobs at resorts and things while I was staying there to, to get privileges like riding jet skis. or. What kind of stuff are you bringing from your childhood into your uh, professional career? Well, I think I was always just interested in meeting people, and so uh, I was always a curious kid, uh, and working with uh, different professionals, different expertise. Uh, we get to work on sort of the most intriguing things, the biggest headlines of the day, and uh, and then we could do something else the next day. You like creating change. You like doing different and promotion and marketing, huh? I do. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, how long have you been doing this for? Uh, just over 20 years. Oh, so you know what you're doing with marketing and PR. I guess it's changed over the years, hasn't it? Drastically changed. Uh -huh. uh, from faxing things originally to now uh, communicating mostly via uh, social media platforms and group mm -hmm. chats and things like that. And what's the website address of your organization? It's www.hellermanllc.com. Let me have that one more time. www.hellermanllc.com. And we've been with John Hellerman, president and founder of Hellerman Communications, here on Executive Leaders Radio. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Steve Sherman, who's General Counsel and Corporate Secretary, BSI Group America. What is BSI Group America, Steve? BSI is also known as the British Standards Institution. It's a century-old quality management systems and standards business. How and large or how small is the organization? Well, we've got about 800 employees in my region, which is North and South America, about 4,000 or more globally. Wow. And where are you from originally? I am a native, proud native of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, how many, Amish country. How many brothers and sisters? I'm the oldest of three, uh. two-year younger brother and a five-year younger sister. All right. You're the oldest of three. Okay. Know them. Your turn. Steve, tell us what it was like to grow up in Amish country, Pennsylvania. Um, I have a slightly different perspective. I'm the son of a native, um, so my father and his parents, you know, my father grew up there, but uh, it was a small town, and it was made a little more challenging in that I was part of a very small Jewish community, so I faced some anti-Semitism. I was different. And so how did that impact you then? 
how it impacted me then, it made me very somewhat conscious, self-conscious of being different, but also I think it instilled in me a sense of uh, empathy and the ability to see people who are different as not necessarily being different. And that, how does that impact what you do and who you are in business today? You know, it's so essential, I think, as a lawyer, and particularly in the in-house world, to be empathetic, to be open to receiving information and to building relationships because the value that we have isn't just being lawyers and, and getting to answers, but it's to be a recipient of information and to, to figure out paths forward for people that might have challenges. Mm-hmm. And So you've told us that you always had jobs as a kid. What kind of job did you get when you were 16? Oh, I started working at a uh, kitchen cabinet factory long before custom cabinetry was as fancy schmancy as it is today. And I was uh, both on deliveries on, on routes as well as sanding excess stain spills on door jam openings. So that's not a, a job we necessarily associate with kids. What made you different than other kids that, that made them want to have you in that position? I was the only kid. Everybody else was out of high school at that point. And uh, But what was critical to me was I was assigned to make sure there were no stain spills in those door openings of these very expensive cabinets, and I made sure there were no stain spills. You mentioned that to us that you were hyper-focused on being the best. So how did that play out for you as you've developed your career? It, uh, lawyers are expected to operate with a degree of exactitude. We're, we're paid to be precise. You can't always be right, but you have to build trust. And from the trust comes from trying to be the best you can be and offer the best possible judgment and advice and advice that you're able in each situation. Mm-hmm. Aaron? If you weren't a general counsel, what would you be? Oh, my God, I'd be managing bands or I'd be a road manager for a rock band. Really? You'd be a roadie? Absolutely. And, and what is it about roadie life that, uh, that tracks you? It's just, I, I love the idea of, I, I, it's kind of like being in a traveling circus where people bring their own experiences in life and they come from all different places and backgrounds and they bring it together to make a, a production something successful. And how does, how does that affect how you approach your day-to-day life today? Ah, I live in chaos. It's what I, I love it. I really do. I, and it's what I love about being a corporate in-house lawyer is that I'm never quite sure what each day is going to be like. Mm-hmm. You have to be just ready for whatever might arise. Zach, what are you thinking? So I'm, I'm still thinking about something Steve said before about wanting to be the best. And I'm curious, so how did you adapt when you found yourself in a situation where you couldn't be as, as good as you wanted to be? I got comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that's kind of a hallmark of being an in-house lawyer and being, being good in that role to the business and to serving the business. It's, it's simply being okay to not be entirely comfortable, um, to trust your judgment, to know that others look to us and trust us, and, and just to do the best you can. And you can't be perfect and you can't always be right. You just have to be as good as you can be. Mm-hmm. Steve, looking back, who, who did you idolize as a kid? Who, who was your role model? In many ways, it was, I had many, but uh, always my father, um, just because he was local, he built a successful business, and he was uh, really an exemplar of what, you know, being a, an, a community member and someone who was looked to, he was a home builder. And he built a lot of homes for teachers, firefighters, police officers, just all of the people who were around who made the community tick. And what I learned early on is that reputation, uh, uh, you know, reputations are built and they can easily be destroyed. Wait, wait, wait. So, so every, it sounds like your father knew a lot of people and you were quite proud of that, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. And what I learned early on was how essential relationships are to, to life and to being a professional. So when you were a kid growing up in this community, uh, did you walk around feeling like a real snot because, you know, everybody knew your dad and you could get away with everything? Or how did that make you feel? It was less that, but I, there was visibility that came with, and there was responsibility, I think, that came with being someone who was at least part of, you know, had, had more visibility. You felt responsibility because of that visibility. Did your dad tell you that, or did you just figure that out for yourself? I think it was a little of each, but what I saw was, again, you know, it's all about, you know, how others view you, and, you, you know, missteps can easily derail things. How's that, how's that play into your role as the general counsel and corporate secretary of BSI Group America, which is, I think you mentioned, 4,500 people? I've, I've worked very hard to 
build trust and to build relationships with all of my business partners and my inside business clients um, because that's just what they want me to do and it's how I can be most effective in the role. That's interesting. Uh, Anne and uh, Aaron, what kind of stuff are you guys thinking? What are you thinking? So I'd like to go back just to the, to the music piece of it. You mentioned earlier that music's a big part of your life. What, what is it about music that attracts you? Um, well, I have, you know, I like a lot of types of music, but I'm actually really a metalhead at heart, and I've been listening to heavy and hard rock music since I was an early t- tween. Um, what music does is it, it, it simply enables me, I think, to exercise and uh, my, my, my creative side, and it keeps me very engaged and focused, and it just it doesn't allow things to get boring. So what, what's important about having cre- being able to exercise your creative side, and, and how do you apply that in your job? It, you know, we're just so often tasked with coming up with solutions to what, what the folks who bring them to us think might be vexing problems in business. And it's, it's fun to try to devise solutions that maybe haven't otherwise been thought of, and that's a, it's a fun part of the role. Are you telling me that when you're listening to Metallica, you're coming up with creative solutions to business problems? Absolutely. Are you serious? Swear to God. Huh. So, uh, some music's a release for you. It's a, it allows your right brain to kick in. It allows the intuitive stuff to kick a, a in. A big release. Look, I grew up in a home where the radio was always on. We were in c- the car. The radio was always on. My parents always had music on in the house. It just was part of the, the background at all times. Huh. So, as opposed to distracting you from your legal career, you think it actually lends it, it lends itself to a creative. It helps you be creative and relax. For me, it does absolutely. Uh-huh. What, uh huh. What are you married or single? I'm married. How many kids? We have two kids. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Recent college graduate, and as of Saturday, a second college graduate. Uh huh. What? Uh, so, what do you hope for them? You want them to be attorneys, or what do you, what do you want them to do? You know what? I, uh, my wife and I both used college very much for vocational purposes. We simply majored in something we knew that was going to get us a job. I was an accountant; she was a radio, TV, and film major, and we did made sure we were employable. We wanted our kids to be less linear, and we just encouraged them to just find something they loved, learn how to. Just think critically to, to read, to write well, to speak. Wait a minute. Aren't you worried about them making a lot of money? You know what? They'll figure out a way. My kids are ambitious on their own, and my wife and I are quite confident they'll do fine. Wait a minute. So let me get this straight. You, you're, you've been encouraging your kids to find something they love as opposed to make a lot of money because if they can figure out what they love, then they'll figure out how to make a lot of money from it. Passions are essential. You have to find something that makes you want to get up every day. And that, that certainly was an example that my, my parents led. How did you get that example? Where would you get that from? Well, because my, my mother is a homemaker, was a homemaker. My father was very entrepreneurial. Um, but he found a way to use his work, which he very much enjoyed, to facilitate his other passions, whether it was bike riding and music and travel and tennis and whatever it was. And I saw that as an example of how I wanted to live my life. Uh, what do you mean? That, that I, I don't, uh, I work to live. I don't live to work. Give me that again. Well, I, I enjoy my work, but work simply enables me to do the things outside of work that I'd rather be doing when I'm not working. Huh. So you enjoy your, does work feel like work? Sometimes it does. Of course it does. But, but I also like it because I love to read and I love to write and I love to receive information and I love to try to synthesize that into bits that are helpful. Right, wait a minute. What time do you start with your emails in the morning? Uh, 6 a.m. when I get up. What time do you end with your emails at night? Midnight after Stephen Colbert's opening lines. Do you get paid extra for working overtime? I do not. Do you, get, do you have to work Saturdays and Sundays? I am pretty much on all the time and it's... And you're telling me that most of the time it doesn't feel like work, that you're really enjoying this. I, I, I like to help out, and I, just, and, I, and I feel in many ways very privileged to be a corporate in-house lawyer. It's, it's different than... Well, now I understand why you're lawyer. talking to your kids about and, you know, really finding out what they love to do, because then it doesn't feel like work, and that's why you're really enjoying yourself. What's the website address of this organization? It's bsigroup.com. Let me have that one more time. bsigroup.com. We've been speaking with Steve Sherman, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary, BSI Group America, here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break.
And your name is? Ray Briscuso. And Ray, what organization are you with? Life Sciences Conference Group. And what is Life Sciences Conference Group? What do you folks do? We produce annual conferences and events for medical technology, life science, pharmaceutical companies. Uh-huh. So if I go to an event, you're the folks that are working behind the scenes to make it happen? That's correct. We're yeah. the ones that make sure the food's on the table, the seats are there, soundstage and lights are there, your registration process works. And, and what kind of events are these? Are these just in the life science industry? Strictly in the life science industry. Why, why do you focus on the life science industry? Uh, we found that the best way to produce a high-quality event is to really know your customer. So we don't believe in numbers. It's names. We get to know each company. We find out what their actual mission and goals are, and we find the best way to deliver the value to them. And are you doing this nationally or regionally? We do it nationally. We continue to look for international opportunities, but it's primarily here in North America. And how old is this company? Uh, the company has just finished its 10th year. And how long have you been with the company? I founded the company 10 years ago. What gave you the idea to start this company? I used to work for a big corporation, and I produced the annual event for us. And when I decided to leave, they said, thank you for giving us $150 million worth of a business, and we'll see you later. And mm -hmm. next time I decided I would keep some ownership and do it myself. Ah, so you've been, building, you've been building this ever since. What do you like about your job? I like how different it is because we mix policy, we mix business. I might be putting one CEO together with a politician. I might be putting another CEO together with an investor. Mm -hmm. And I might be putting the next person together with their next employee. How interesting. Well, what's the website address for this organization? MedTechConference.org. Let me have that one more time. MedTechConference.org. .org. And the name of the organization again is? Well, Life Sciences Conference Group. Life Sciences Conference Group. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. Ray Briscuso. We've been talking to Ray Briscuso, CEO and managing partner of Life Sciences Conference Group here on Executive Leaders Radio. This has been your business spotlight. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, they, they, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people, and then who knows the the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your, idea, your, your thought is in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine-to-five kind of job oh, for you? Oh, hell no. It's a lot longer uh -huh. than that, baby. So do you have, to, you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. It's balsambid.com, and, and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more Balsambid. time. Balsambid.com. It's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. Your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. Want help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money. All the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business, 
are truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Zach Stewart, Assistant General Counsel and Assistant Secretary, Circo Inc. Zach, what is Circo Inc.? Circo Inc. is a professional services provider, mostly to governments. Uh-huh. We provide public services with a human touch. Um, anything from installing uh, IT racks on Navy ships so they can communicate with each other more effectively to running driver education and test centers in Ontario, Canada. How large or how small is the organization? Sergo has about 8,400 um, workers right now, and mm-hmm. we're, we're about a $1 billion company. All right, who's got the next question? I think it was Noam, right? Hey, Zach, so tell us about some of the challenges you've faced in uh, getting to where you are today. Um, Did you mention uh, some sort of uh, learning, supposedly, disorder or something like that? I, so I, I'd say the biggest challenge I faced in, in getting to where I am today is I... Um, I deal with uh, anxiety and depression that I wasn't diagnosed with until college and ADD that I wasn't diagnosed with until the end of law school. And so how have you, how have you dealt with that and, and how has those challenges helped you achieve the success you've achieved in business? Uh, I think they've, they've played a big role um, because I, w- I was always naturally creative. What discovering those things about me forced me to do was to uh, develop coping skills to help me be more organized, to be more attuned to the um, the social dynamics around me, and maybe a whole lot more observant and a whole lot more empathetic, frankly, to what other people might be experiencing. Because, um, you know, the the treatments that I've taken have, you know, driven me to have different perspectives at different times. And how does that impact uh, how you are as as counsel for your company? Oh, it's very big. I mean. I guess listening and the ability to to provide um, empathy and, and not sympathy, not feeling sorry for people, but empathy to really put myself in their shoes and use my imagination to figure out, okay, if I'm in their shoes, what do I know? What do I need to know? How do I get this done? Allows me to give advice that they can actually act on. Erin, what are you thinking? So, Zach, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. You talked uh, earlier when we were chatting about music and how it had a big role in your life. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. It did. Um, so I started playing trumpet in fifth grade, but it was really when I joined the, the marching band in high school that I, I really started to find my identity. And how is that? Um, I, there was a part of me that wanted a stage. Uh, I was a trumpet soloist on, in the band, despite the fact that I had a hand tremor and, and you know untreated anxiety, which was really something. Uh, so, so what did you learn from participating in band? I learned how to lead by example. I've, before that, I thought that leading was about, you know, halftime speeches. Um, but what I saw was, you know, leading was about about good habits and about teaching people, you know, dedication um, over time. And how does that affect you, how you do your job today? Uh, it affects me a lot because I, I'd say, I mean, I, I don't just try to provide advice. I try to teach people a little bit so to make them smarter for the next time they face a similar decision. I try to provide them with context so they understand how I'm getting to where I'm going um, so that they can better anticipate what I might tell them tomorrow, too, not just today. Uh-huh. All right, Ann, what are you thinking? You described yourself to us earlier as a band geek in high school, but then you also told us that your first real job was as a civilian attorney for the Marines. So how do those two things square, and what is it about you that made each of those a fit for you? So, yeah, a lot of people get surprised by that. I, I, um, the, the thing that I loved about working for the Marine Corps was the, the advice you provided had to be something that someone could act on quickly. 
you know, I, I wasn't an attorney in, in wartime, but I worked with people that were. And at the end of the day, they faced questions like, hey, that truck is coming at us. Can we shoot it? And I never faced that question, but what it crystallized for me was someone needs to be able to take a step, a, a tangible step in, of action right after I provide this. Am I giving something that will allow them to do that? Hmm. Interesting. Next question. Who's got it? Zach, take us back to the dinner table in your house growing up. What was that like? Uh, we watched the nightly news every night. Um, you know, I, I would my I would watch my dad react uh, often emotionally to different things going on in the world and in politics, and um, I questioned him all the time. Got to you know sort of understand how different levers being pulled in different places led to certain results. And so you're watching his reactions. Take us back eight years old. What were you thinking as he would react to the current events in the news? Probably just a lot of, you know, child why questions. Dad, why are you upset? And, t and talk about the interactions with him. I mean, w did you ask questions? Did he answer them? What were those interactions like? He did. I mean, and, and I was, I, and I see it in my own children, um, just constant curiosity. And how did that impact Zach as the student? Uh, it gave me a love of context, and it, and it provided you know a sense of reward and value to understanding the, the greater sphere in which the small problem that I'm looking at fits in. What's that have to do with your being general counsel and, uh, let's see, it says you're assistant general counsel and assistant secretary of CERCA. What's that have to do with uh, your role nowadays? Oh, a lot. What I are mean, you talking about? What so, do you mean? So uh, government contracting, is, it's, a, it's a highly complex um, industry, but it's also changing all the time. Which, which fits me well because, you know, it's interesting and, it, and rewards, it rewards people who watch it closely. And sometimes knowing the environment that we're in and I can, I can see a small change and see a storm, you know, hours, weeks, months away that I'm, you know, positioned to help my people deal with. So you have the significant ability to anticipate. You're, you're always, you're aware of what's going to happen three and four steps down the pike. It's your nature to do that, that curiosity. You know, the fact that you were a kid and you were so interested in world politics and what's happening in this country, just digesting those facts, you have a natural ability to do that, don't you? That, that um, it doesn't, and actually that's something, that was one of the things that helped me figure out that I had this attention issue was I went digging through an old box uh, that my mom had saved up all my old report cards, and I kept seeing the same comment over and over and mm -hmm. over from the teachers. Gotcha. What's the website address of this organization, Cir Circo Inc.? Uh, it is www.circo-na, as in North America, mm -hmm. com. Excellent. We've speaking with Jack Zach Stewart, Assistant General Counsel and Assistant Secretary of Circo Inc. We've also had the opportunity of speaking with Suzanne Marissa, General Counsel of OV, OVHUS. Also, Amy Shepard, General Counsel and Director of Finance, the Good Food Institute. Steve Sherman, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary, BSI Group American. And most recently, Zach Stewart, Assistant General Counsel and Assistant Secretary of Circo, Inc. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Ann Spiegel, Noam Fishman, and Erin Felix, who are uh, at Polsonelli, the law firm of Polsonelli, uh, acting as my co-host today. And I'd like to thank my listening audience without whom we wouldn't have a radio show. And hopefully we were delivering to you today an entertaining and entertaining and entertaining and educational show. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. We appreciate and thank you for joining us today. And do have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.